Good morning, church. Good morning. It is so good to see you all here. I missed you dearly last week with the snowstorm, uh, although I looked out at about 10 o'clock and said, we could have probably had church. I mean, I, I don't know. Is anyone finding that Penn State's getting a little soft with their closings? They, they delayed, did they, they let out school early, right? At some point this week? Yeah. I, I don't know when they got soft, but you know, it's a little sprinkling on the ground, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's freaking out. But it's all right, it's all right. I know no one complained about early dismissals here. But uh, I did miss you guys last week, uh, having canceled uh, service, but it's good to be back here. Um, if you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, once again, a special welcome to you. Uh, I want to personally extend an invite to you to join us for our newcomer's lunch. We'd love to have a chance to say hello to you, tell you a little bit more about ACF and how you might be able to get plugged in here. Um, listen, if you are p- already plugged into a campus ministry. We're not trying to pull you away from anything uh, that you've got going on. And so uh, this is for those who are looking to get plugged in to a campus ministry here uh, at Penn State. We'd love to, again, tell you a little bit more about who we are and uh, what we do. So you're more than welcome. Join us on that other side of that wall. We'd love to see you there. Um, Before we go on, I'd love to just say a quick special welcome to some guests that we have in the house. We've got the Keenan family, who is our Thon family that we've been journeying with for now... Three or four years? Four years? Has it been that long? Yeah. And our Thon child is here, Savannah, who is not so much a child anymore. Four years. Good grief. Um, and so we want to welcome the Keenans. Can we welcome the Keenans here? Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. With Thon coming around the corner, we're excited anytime we get to see our Thon family. So uh, welcome. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, if you need a Bible here today, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, we'll have some folks coming around, and they can get one of these uh, hardback Bibles to you. If you're following along with us in these Bibles, we're on page 811. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we're on page 811. We're continuing in our Kingdom Way series, which is a study on the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon, if you're not familiar with it already, is a collection of the most important and profound teachings of Jesus. And today, we come to a part in the Sermon on the Mount, in the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus teaches us how to pray, how to pray. Now, the truth is, many of us already know how to pray. Many of us don't need to be taught how to pray. In fact, even if you don't believe in God, I bet you, you probably intuitively know how to pray. For instance, how many of you have prayed this prayer before, perhaps before an important exam? Oh, God, let me not fail this test, right? Oh, God, I know I didn't study. God, I'm not even sure if you you exist, but if you do, throw me a bone here, would you? Uh, Let me not fail this test. Or perhaps maybe you found yourself in a tough situation, a hard spot, and you just throw out kind of a Hail Mary, just a, a simple prayer. Oh, God, help, right? Help, just just Help. It's a simple prayer, but a prayer nonetheless. You see, the issue for most of us isn't necessarily that we don't know how to pray. The issue is that we don't always know how to pray right. You see, you got to remember, Jesus has come to show us a new and better way to live that includes our prayer lives. And in today's passage, Jesus addresses for us some wrong ways to go about praying, And then he shows us a new and better way to pray. And so meet me at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up from verse 5 and carry through to verse 15. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7 continues on and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now here, Jesus prescribes for us this new and better way to pray. Verse 9, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, friends, at the start of this passage, Jesus addresses some wrong ways to go about praying. But in addressing the wrong ways, he actually prescribes for us some better ways, some better alternatives for praying. In fact, when we look at the words of Jesus here, he prescribes for us a few specific ways to pray. The first is to pray secretly, to pray secretly. You see, the first error in prayer that Jesus addresses is the prayer life of these hypocrites, now, who are these hypocrites? They, 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 these hypocrites were these religious, church-going, God-fearing type people. Except these church-going, God-fearing, religious type people seem to have missed the whole point and the purpose behind prayer. You see, what was happening was they were using prayer as sort of a badge of honor or as a, as a symbol of pride that they wore to show everyone how great they were, how holy they were, how righteous and good they were. Listen to what Jesus says about them. When you pray, don't be like these guys. Don't be like these hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they already got the reward. Many of you may already know this, but uh, I went to a Christian college that was just about 30 minutes north of Manhattan, and it was a small Christian college comprised of uh, mostly students who were, who were uh, on the road to vocational ministry. These were students, college students, undergrad students who felt a call by God to enter into full-time pastoral ministry or into the mission field. They were studying to become missionaries. Now, one of the unique dynamics within a Christian school like the one I went to that you won't necessarily find on a big stage university like here is this dynamic of what we called holy rollers holy rollers okay now holy rollers were kids on campus who walked around like they were God's chosen elect. I mean, they, they had a little bit of an extra air in their They just kind of walked with their chest out a little bit further out than the rest of the students on campus. There was an air of self-righteousness about them. And most students on campus, quite honestly, couldn't stand them because of their holier-than-thou mentality. It's like, who are you? Get down from that horse, right? Like, these holy rollers look down on everyone else who didn't quite measure up to their level of spirituality. They were sort of like the collegiate Pharisees, if you will, these holy rollers. And I was one of them, walking around with great pride, 
thinking God has gifted me, he's chosen me. I am the chosen one, even as the light shines on me. I'm recalling those moments on camp. Ah, you know, like angels singing when I walked through the halls of my campus. Holy rollers. I often wondered if Jesus were to roam my college campus, my little Christian college campus, and if he were to sit down with my group of friends, this group of holy rollers, I wonder what he would have said to us. I imagine it would have been something very similar to what he said to these hypocrites. Don't be like these guys. I'm not looking. My kingdom is not made, does not consist of holy rollers. Notice he gives us a contrast to these hypocrites. In verse 6, he provides a better alternative. He says, don't be a holy roller. Rather, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, prayer for Jesus was never about a badge of honor or a trophy that one was to display or carry around to exemplify their righteousness, their goodness, their holiness. Prayer was never about that for Jesus. Prayer was always something that was deeply intimate for Jesus. It was deeply intimate. In fact, whenever you see Jesus praying to the Father, he was going off to these quiet, private, desolate places. The disciples would be like, where's Jesus? You seen him? No, I think he went off by himself. What are you doing? I, I, I don't know. Maybe going to the bathroom? I don't know. Like, he's off by himself? No, he's, he's praying, Peter. Remember, he does that. Like, he goes off by himself to pray. That's what he does. Jesus, in his approach to prayer, he always approached it from this deeply secret place where intimacy with the Father was developed. You see, a life of walking with Jesus requires it is, not, it is not a recommendation. It is a requirement. It requires you to develop an intimate, one-on-one type of relationship with God. You cannot claim yourself as a follower of Christ if your life is void of this secret life of prayer. It just doesn't work that way. You will never fully know God if your prayer life is strictly confined only to corporate gatherings like these and And here's my concern, church. My concern is that the average modern-day Christian believes that it is sufficient to simply pray in corporate gatherings like this. I pray in church on Sunday. And that is the extent of our prayer lives. Folks, the fact of the matter is this. If we want to truly know the living God, we have got to learn to develop a private prayer life outside of the four walls of alumni hall here, outside of the four walls of your campus ministry, outside of the four walls of your large gathering, outside of the four walls even of your small groups, of your life groups, of your Bible studies. You have got to develop a secret place kind of relationship with Christ, a one-on-one type of place where God is able to know you intimately and where you can come to know your father intimately. Pray secretly. But then secondly, Jesus teaches us to pray confidently. To pray confidently. He teaches us to pray secretly, but then he teaches us to pray confidently. After talking about these religious hypocrites, right? Jesus says, don't be like them. Jesus moves on to the Gentiles, Now, who were the Gentiles? The Gentiles were the non-Jews. They were the irreligious or the worldly people of that time. They didn't have much or 
any God knowledge at all. They didn't go to church. They weren't part of small groups. They didn't tie. They didn't, they didn't read their Bibles. I mean, they were more or less the non-Christians of the time. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles are used to doing. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. You see, what Jesus was saying here is when you pray with empty phrases and many words, you're actually buying into this notion somehow that, that your wordy prayers will somehow twist the arm of God to make him do for you what you want him to do for you. And so prayer becomes this, this arm wrestling match between you and God to see who can win out. And you think by your empty phrases, your incessant wordiness of prayer, that's what the Gentiles were doing, maybe God will answer me. Maybe God will comply. He was saying, Gentiles, your prayer is filled with a whole lot of self-confidence and zero God confidence. Your confidence in your prayer life is solely based on your ability to pray as opposed to God's ability to meet you. And you see, I, I see this with my kids all the time. Maybe you've witnessed something similar as well. Uh, you know, my son Jake, he's nine. He, he has this tendency to fixate on things. He, he fixates on things. Once he gets his mind set on something, he can't, he can't shake it. And I can't really blame him because his mom and dad are the same way. I mean, like I, a couple months ago, I was looking to buy a new coffee maker, right? Like, and, and I was Googling, I was searching, I was on Facebook Marketplace, I was on credit, I was everywhere looking for the perfect coffee maker. I went to bed thinking about coffee makers. I woke up in the morning thinking about coffee makers. I was fixated. So quite honestly, I can't blame my kid for being fixated on things. The problem is, when we're walking through the, 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 the aisles, the toy section of Target or wherever, and he's, he, he has his eyes set on something, the problem is he doesn't always have the money to buy it. He's nine, right? He's got, he's got some pocket change, but, but he's got, he doesn't have enough money to buy it. And so what does he do? He does the next logical thing. He comes to the first national bank of mom and dad to make a withdrawal, right? Like some of you know what I'm talking about. You hit up that bank recently. Mom, dad, I need some money. Can you please send me? I, need, I got no food in the fridge. And so he comes and says, hey, mom, dad, can you buy this for me? Now, listen. I, I try not to be a mean parent, right? Like I try to be very, you know, a gracious parent, but there are many times when I'll say, no, son, we're, we're not gonna buy that. Yeah, we're not gonna buy that. That's, that's not necessary. We don't need that. And uh, the answer is no. And then the begging starts. Oh, please, Dad, but please, 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 come on, please, please, please. Many words, empty phrases. At least that's what I hear. And then an interesting shift happens in my son between this, this exchange. What began as an intriguing desire has now become a desperate need. You ever see this where kids are like, but dad, I don't want this. I need this. I need this. And I'm like, son, why do you need a $125 Nerf gun? Tell me, you can't even pick this thing up. This thing is bigger than you. What do you, what do you mean you need this Nerf gun? Dad, I got all the other Nerf guns. I don't have this. I need this one. He keeps pressing me, keeps pressing me, keeps pressing me. You see, I think kids naturally think if we keep asking mom and dad, maybe they'll give in and finally say yes. That's what the Gentiles were doing with their prayers. Jesus says, Stop praying like that. You're just wasting your breath. You're wasting your energies. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Listen, folks, prayer is not about twisting God's arm to make you make him do something you need him to do. Rather, praying is about confidently trusting that God knows your every need already. And he is more than capable of meeting every single one of those needs. He's saying, let your confidence be ultimately placed on God's ability to meet those needs, not your ability to ask for those needs. Now, look, there is a place to ask. In fact, in several weeks, Jesus, we're going to find in this very same sermon, he says, ask. I want you to ask. So he's not saying, don't ask, but don't ask thinking that somehow by your asking, you're going to move heaven and earth. If heaven and earth is going to move, it's because God moves heaven and earth. You see, that's, that's the difference between praying with faith and praying as the Gentiles were praying. That, that, that our, our prayer is no longer filled with empty phrases and many words, but all of a sudden, you're simply content to come to God and say, God, I trust you. I'm going to put this ask before you, but at, at that, I'm going to leave it at that, because at the end of the day, my confidence is not in my ability to ask My confidence is squarely placed on your ability to meet my need even before I ask. How crazy is that? To even think that we have a God who knows what our needs are even before we present those needs before God. And so that should give us reason to say, I'm gonna pray confidently because my confidence is placed in Christ, placed in God's ability, not in my ability to ask. And that's actually what you find at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, which takes us to our final point, and that is pray slowly. Pray slowly. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? You see, I think too often we rush through our prayers. You know, I, I, that, that we, we wonder why our prayer lives seem so thin and flimsy and weak, and I, and I wonder if it's because we rush right through it. We rush right through it. We treat it like a, a checklist to, to just check off of our to-do items We rarely take our time to just sit and be with God. We just sang about it, let us become more aware of your presence. You cannot become aware of of God's presence in your life so long as you're rushing through life, as you're rushing through your prayer rhythms, as you're rushing through reading your scripture, reading your Bible. There is no awareness that comes when you're just rushing through. You see, I think Jesus wants us to slow down and take our time in prayer to just be with him to just enjoy his presence. I mean, just imagine for a minute you were on a date with someone, right? And then they kept looking at their watch. And like, oh man, yeah, like this is one's a... And they're agitated. They can't sit still and just enjoy the moment. They'd rather, they look like they'd much rather be somewhere else than sitting there with you. You're like, man, this is, this is going bad. <laughs> like, this is like, you know, should I pretend someone called me and just bail to save myself the embarrassment and save my dignity? Like, that's, I mean, how lousy of a feeling would that be? Jesus says, I want you to slow down when you come to be with me. Stop looking at your watch. Time will go on. The time will go on as it has always gone on throughout all of eternity, but you may miss what I want to do right now in this moment because you're looking at your watch, because you're looking to the next thing to run to. And there's no better way to slow down than with the Lord's prayer in front of you. You see, after showing us some wrong ways to pray, Jesus shows us this new and better way to pray, which many of us have come to know as the Lord's prayer or as the Our Father prayer. 
He says, pray then like this. In fact, can we read this out together in one voice? We'll put it up here on the screen so that we can read along together. Here it goes. It says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, isn't it interesting that out of all of the ways that Jesus could have taught us to pray, this is the prayer he chose to teach us. Out of all the different words and, and, and phraseology that Jesus could have chose to teach us how to pray, these are the words that Jesus chose to teach us. And I believe he did so because there is so much here in this little prayer to reflect on. That is, if we slow down and take our time long enough to uncover what Jesus is saying here. See, here's how this might look. You may want to open up to this passage again sometime this week, maybe tomorrow morning, the first thing before you even begin your day with your morning cup of coffee, you may want to open up to Matthew chapter 6 here. Or you may want to just have a printout of the Lord's Prayer, real simple, maybe on a small index card, write it out, something accessible, and begin by slowly praying, Our Father in heaven. Verse by verse, our Father in heaven. You see, right out of the gate, Jesus addresses our position to God. He wants us to know that we don't have a God who is far and distant, but who is loving and near to us. And so even before you proceed to the next verse, you may want to pause here just to thank God for positioning us as his sons and daughters and enabling us to know him as our heavenly Father. Our fa- you are our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. This addresses our worship of God. So again, here you may want to take a moment to acknowledge the greatness of his name, the majesty of his name, the matchless wonder of the name of Jesus. Oh God, I praise your name. I praise you and hallowed be your name. Your name is great. Your name is sweeter than honey. Your name is life to me. Hallowed be your name. Worship of our God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This speaks to the issue of direction, direction. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying you're leading the way, God, not me. I want the kingdom way for my life, not my way for my life. And so direct my life, oh Lord. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth, here in my life as it is already in heaven. How many of you know God has already willed things to take place? He knows. He is sovereign over all. And so we simply come under the sovereignty of God and say, God, I want your will for my life. I want your dreams for my life. I want your agenda, your plans. I'm I'm done trying to make plans for my life because I'm a terrible plan maker. But God, if you can create all the the universe and fashion the stars in their place, surely you you can manage my little life. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Direction. Give us this day our daily bread speaks of the provision of God. You see, right here, we are recognizing one simple reality that God is our ultimate provider. Apart from him, we're toast. We got nothing. We got nothing. The thing with God's provision Listen now, the thing with God's provision is that he doesn't give us tomorrow's bread. 
Notice the prayer doesn't say, give us tomorrow's daily bread. Give us next week's. Heck, give us next month's. I want a Costco size. I'm going to need the wholesale Sam's Club size. I don't want to go to Giant or Walmart. Give me the, give me the bulk package. It says, give us this day our daily bread. He gives us, friends, you need to understand this. God gives you bread for today so that you can rely on him tomorrow. He gives you bread today so that you don't live off of bread that that is to come months later. He gives you bread for the now, for the present moment. So that the next day you wake up, you wake up coming to the Father, coming to the great provider and say, God, Give me today's daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. Provision. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This points to our confession. Our confession. Friends, you need to understand that one of the things that disrupts our fellowship with God is our unconfessed sin in our lives. I wish I had more time to unpack this, but, but we, don't, we don't have time for that today. But, but uh, confession becomes a necessary part of our prayer lives. Confession, if, if you want to just jot this down, is simply the acknowledgement of our wrongs. That's all that confession is. Confession is coming to terms with what God is recognizing as wrong. It's coming to terms and acknowledging, okay, God, I'm on the same page as you. It's the acknowledgement of our wrongs. And so when we say forgive us our debts, we're saying, God, we acknowledge that there is something wrong here. So God, would you come and make it right so that I can be in right fellowship with you? That's confession. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus brings us to a place of protection. The temptations that we face in life the evil that we come in contact with on a daily basis can only be overcome by the protection of our Heavenly Father. Paul says it this way, our, our battle isn't against flesh, blood, the things that you can see, touch, and feel. We're taking part in a spiritual battle that transcends our natural uh, uh, ability to see and touch and feel. There is a spiritual war going on and the only chance at winning at this war is only by the protection of your loving Father in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, do you see how the simple exercise of just slowly praying through the Lord's prayer can deeply enrich your prayer lives? It's just slowing it down long enough to just say, Holy Spirit, God, would you speak to me in this little phrase, our Father in heaven. What would you have me, what would you have me chew on here? Our Father in heaven. Talking about my position to the Father in heaven, my position to God, pray slowly. Don't rush your time that is spent in God's presence because you may miss some sweet moments of communion with him. Folks, when we learn to pray in secret and develop a private, intimate rhythm with God, And when we learn to pray with confidence, having faith and assurance that we have a God who knows our every need before we even ask him. And when we learn to slow down our prayer lives long enough, your prayer life, I promise you, your prayer life will become the primary avenue for encountering the living presence of God in your life. It will. Some of us are like, man, I just, I pray, but I don't don't feel his presence. I pray, but I don't, I don't, I'm not experiencing much breakthrough. Jesus says, hey, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. 
Don't try to find your breakthrough in the public arena because you're not going to find it there. In fact, some of the greatest breakthrough is going to come when you shut the door behind you, you close yourself in a room, you get down on your knees just between you and your Father in heaven and you say, oh God, here I am. And when you're not trying to fill your prayer time with, with empty words and empty phrases, many words, you just say, God, I'm going to place my confidence in you. I trust in you. Now, again, if I had more time, I'd unpack that a little bit because, again, Jesus encourages us to ask. So how do we ask without becoming like annoying nine-year-olds? I need a $125 Nerf gun. Jesus, you need to give this to me, right? Like keep asking, keep asking. Many words and empty phrases, learning how to balance that. Really, the, heart, the issue is the heart issue. Do you, in your heart, have confidence, have trust, have faith that God can meet your needs even if you didn't bring it before him? Do you believe that you have that God? Do you believe you serve that God? And then pray slowly. 